As they talked to me about it, I began to realize that the story in Scripture is largely what has kept me in, in real relationship with God. It's not the breaking down and word-by-word study, which I love to do. It's not the, the knowing of the doctrines of the Scripture, which I, I love to work out. But what has really kept me going is realizing that it's God's story the whole of it. It's, it's God's story and, and that I'm not trying to get him to come into me and my world. He's encouraging me to get into his story, to, to be a part of his story. And so that's largely what this is going to be, but you know me, I'm going to work some other stuff in there. But uh, when we get down toward the end, I'm going to be talking about uh, about myself and my walk with God in ways that, that I normally don't. And just this morning I was reminded that uh, Chelsea and I need to be a little more open with what's going on with us. Chelsea's been very sick this week. And I realize that some people use uh, Christ Family Church private page as a prayer list and I hadn't posted anything there. But here's the truth of it. If you're going to wait for me to post, <laughs> might wait a long time <laughs> because Chelsea's the one that takes care of that and Leslie's the one that takes care of that. They've both been sick. Leslie's a lot better. But uh, I apologize for not drawing you into it, but I just had my head down doing what needed to be done this week and realized that she's been really, really sick this week and we haven't reached out for the church to help us to pray and, and to bring help us to see the healing manifest in her life. So... I apologize to you for that. And, you know, I, those of you that bring this stuff to my attention, I thank you for it. Uh, again, I probably won't be posting today, but uh, I, I realize that we should bring the church into the thing and that I could, I could reach out to other people that would do that. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Uh, I am going to start there a little bit, but we will end conversation back up above it a little bit later. But... This is the verse that we, we hear so many times. See, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. And again here I'm thankful for team because uh, I was reminded this week by one of the team that, that I probably have overstated some things and, and made you think that having a regular time that you pray might not be the best thing but I want to tell you that's not what I intended because a lot of times if you don't have a regular time when you start to pray you won't pray and but I I do encourage you not to have a ritual that if you get up and you're in such a hurry that your mind doesn't touch on prayer before you go to work that you don't live the day condemned because you didn't go into a prayer closet but I also encourage you to realize that prayer is communication with God. And that 
it's okay to get up short on time and instead of your mind going to all of the things that you must accomplish today that you open it up by beginning to acknowledge him and just just beginning to bring your mind into focus that he's there and you begin your day of prayer right there now there's a lot of times that that time because I'm at this place in life where I can do that a lot of times that time with God is three hours for me I can't sleep very well but I can pray and so when I'm up at four o'clock in the morning I pray for three or four hours before my phone starts to ring and my my text starts to go off and my email starts to happen I just sit there and talk with God but it's communication. I don't, I don't have things that I must say. I don't think, have things that I must do. I'm just communicating with God. And a lot, there's as much of it listening as there is speaking. So I want to just tell you that when Jesus was, when, when the writer wrote this about how Jesus was working, he began telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. I'm going to give you a paraphrase of that in a few minutes that probably will change your thinking about it. But <clears throat> there's a lot of time that I've taken to talk about personal prayer simply because I've wanted to break the chain of a particular way of, of praying. Ritualistic and repetitive prayer, we need to break those chains. And Jesus addressed those things too. And if you look it up and read it, but he's talking about vain, empty, useless repetition. And there's times it'd be very good to just be aware of yourself praying. And notice how much repetition you actually use and, and begin to work that out because if you begin to lock in with God, God will begin to talk with you and as, as these things come in your mind, you can pray about those things and talk it back and, and get in the spirit and talk, talk to him and you find that it's not repetitive unless there's something that needs ongoing communication with God or it's not repetitive at all. But... Um, I, I am personally, in my prayer life, I'm resistant to having any prescribed order in that prayer. I, I, I'm just very resistant to that because I want to close every day being satisfied that I have communicated with God. Not that I've spent X amount of time in prayer. Not that I have done this or that or something else. But that through this day I have communicated with God. I, that, that's what makes me feel better when, when, the, end, when the night comes. And uh, you know, with ritualistic and repetitive prayer, you might get a sense of His presence. I'm not saying that you won't. I, I watched a, an arty, or some kind of a program recently where uh, some, some guys had gone on some horrendous roads into an area where they claimed to have the, the Ark of the Covenant stashed away out in the desert. And there's, a, there's all kinds of things surrounding that. And this is all, was all surrounding a particular type of, of uh, what would be considered Protestant religion. And it has been all centered around that spot, which they won't let anybody except their particular uh, ministry types into that spot. But outside of that, they, they've got this, what they call a church, hewn into a rock. The whole thing is with hammers and drills and all that chipped out of a rock, a huge thing. And in the middle of it is this water. Now, 
I didn't hear anything said by any of those that indicated that there was a relationship with a personal God. Yet, these complete unbelievers that had gone there just for a TV show and, and were impressed so much by the ritual, this water, nasty-looking water with, with stuff growing in it, this priest or whatever he was would reach in there and he'd take that water and he'd throw it on them. And the next thing you know, one of them is laughing uncontrollably. And the other one is, is trying to push back tears. It's, it, and they go away, they're saying, we don't know what happened. Well, even in that acknowledgement that there is a God and that God has been involved in the lives of men, there was some sense of his presence, some, something that was happening. And I would suggest to you, before we get too judgmental toward the way others do things, we need to remember that God's involved with men. Always. He's not out there somewhere waiting for us to do things in any ritualistic way so that he can be involved. God's just involved with men. And we remember those things, and it's easier to see these people as our brothers and sisters. Now, Leslie mentioned the ordination service, and I'll bring a quick correction there. It wasn't Paul and Rita Sims. It was Paul and Rita Washington. I've been thinking of the Sims, too, over the last week or so. You're right. It's pastor's appreciation. So I stand corrected again. But the thing is, I was... I was Working, helping be a part of that service. And here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, man, I wish we could bring this group of people together with the church at Kirksville. What a church we would make. You know what the Spirit of God says? You are part of this church, and they are part of you. This is the church family in this area. And there again, I, I stood corrected. I, I don't want to bring them here because they're that expression in Monroe City, but they're part of us. And it feels like we're home when we're over there. And they feel like they're home when we're here. Now, that's a big thing. Because most of those people have been dealing with, with prejudice as only, uh, as, as only the Midwest can express it. They've been dealing with that all their lives. But they tell us over and over again when they come here, they feel accepted. They feel like part of the family. And I want to commend you for that because, you know what, to us, they are. Paul Washington was talking about when, when one of us had, had come to him one time and said, you know, Paul, I just want you to know how deep this goes, that I'm okay if my daughter marries your son. And you know what? That's the kind of relationship we have. And, and it, that greatly impacted him because this man that had lived under the prejudice for so long that he was finally realizing there's a group of people in the earth that recognize that we're all sons and daughters of God, but we need to expand that. And realize that people that do not do it like we do it, they're still doing the best they can to acknowledge God. And there's some, some sense of God's presence in what they do. Now, I don't want to belabor that too much, but I'm just saying that if you, if you keep yourself in that ritualistic and repetitive style of prayer, you'll find out that, that you have a latent sense of God but you don't have that active thing that flows forth from you, comes to you and flows from you, to you and flows from you. And my goodness, if you've never experienced that, jump on. It's fun. It, 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 it makes us feel like not only are we praying to God, but that we have the sense of God. 
and we're not God, but we have this sense of him, and that's what human beings were made for. Another thing that I really would like to see people get away from, and this is probably church leaders more than anything else, but official praying. Official praying. Uh, that, that time when, when you're asked to pray in public and you have this outside pressure to do it right. You know what? If you're asked to pray in public, just communicate with your Father. Amen. Just express your heart. Yeah. And you'll find that things begin to happen. I'm, I'm going to have to watch time this morning, but I'm reminded of, of uh, a story that came back from the times that that a lot of times they would fill an auditorium just to hear somebody read because everybody didn't read. They would come to hear a great orator and be greatly moved by a man telling a story or reading a story. And the story goes that, and it is a true story, but it's the story goes that one guy had a whole auditorium full and he was going to read some certain passages from the Bible. And one of those was the 23rd Psalm and people were so moved by it. But as he finished the 23rd Psalm, there was an older gentleman stood up over to his left toward the back and began to quote the 23rd Psalm. As he did, people began to weep all over the auditorium. When he was finished, this great orator said, I knew the psalm. He knows the shepherd. And folks, that's the way I want to live my life. Not knowing all of the Psalms, not knowing all of the Scripture, but where my life expresses a knowledge of the shepherd. And there's nothing official in that. It's only relational. And so I just encourage you, get away from that. If you're asked to pray publicly, then talk to your Savior publicly. Express what's in your heart at the moment because you'll find that what's in your heart is of the sire. It's of our Father. And He will express words of power through you, but He won't do it if you try to do it officially and to impress those who are around you. And, you know, it's a human thing. We almost always do that. Now, so today... My major effort is going to be to take you into an atmosphere which is released by one who prays. And mostly that will be my own experience because without pride or without apology, I tell you, I'm a man who prays. All day. Most days. While going about my business, I might be in conversation with you and you said something that, yeah, I'm somewhat listening, but back here on the spiritual level, I'm Shabbat and the Holy Spirit expressing to God what I can't express. Because you've triggered something in God, and I'm not going to ignore that while paying absolute attention to you. I'll try to catch a few things, but you see me go vacant? That's what happens most times. Sometimes I'm getting kind of old. I get vacant anyway. But <coughs> I want to start out by just telling you that I learned to pray. And I didn't learn out of books. I read a lot of those books back in those days and tried to mimic them. You know, I've told you this before, but the most important time in my life of learning to pray is that period of time. It's about six months long. Whenever time I'd try to say something, God would say, shut up. Now, he speaks my language. For you, he might say, honey, please be quiet. For me, he says, shut up. <laughs> 
But just as a baby learns the language of his or her family, I was thinking of this as I walked by Eleanor back there, and, and yes, Kayla was there too, but <laughs> I walked by Eleanor and I was thinking, just as this baby learns to communicate, this is how we learn to pray. That first it's that sense of presence, and, and they begin to respond to that presence that's always there, mom or dad or siblings or, or friends or the family, whatever, the family, they, they urge them to laugh, they urge, or they urge them to laugh, make them cry. Maybe they teach them to dance, maybe they teach them to yell, whatever, but it's that sense of presence of family and friends around them where they first start beginning to communicate more with expression than anything else. And, then those first words, that form of, first form of communication begins to bubble up. And often what they're doing just seems like Bible. But they're trying to communicate. Now, in our effort to prove that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, we've missed it on, on some of the Old Testament Scripture. The, the Bible, the way it's interpreted, it says, with, with stammering lips and an unknown tongue, I will speak to this people. Yeah, there is the unknown tongue there, but what we've missed is the stammering lips because that's the Hebrew for baby talk. Sometimes it's just, I, 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 I don't know what to say, but I'm learning to communicate. And the unknown tongue will help us. Here a little, there a little, is what it says. And we, we've missed it in that. We, you know, folks, if, you've, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm saying. You don't have to prove it. You don't have to prove that it's doctrinal. Man, it does something for you. And I'll talk more about that later. But this way we learn to communicate, our smiles, our tears, the noise sometimes, uh, uh, all an expression of the desire and the need to communicate. We, of course, the, there's a lot of the folk at Monroe City that are considerably more expressive than I am in my general white world. And uh, I'm not accusing all of you of being as inexpressive as I am. But... Some of us are. But there it's a little more. And I was noticing yesterday throughout the service how, man, there was some noise involved. There was some body movement involved. And it's because there was something that could only be expressed with groanings, with movements, with whatever that couldn't be uttered. But they were expressing something to God. So just for a moment in, in considering your own work for prayer, work with prayer. Consider how awkward it'd be if your child only learned a few phrases and repeated those every time there was any kind of a family interaction, they just repeat those few phrases. Think about that. Now for me, when I was a young kid, it probably would have been, I'm hungry. And I repeated that often, but it just, it just or, or what, if, what if your child spent a lot of time alone in the bedroom developing an outline. And any time they were with you, they just communicated off that outline. Or what if they spent all that time developing a list of wants? And every time they're with you, that's all you hear. Now, I admit, we're hearing a lot more of that in these days. And they had an expression when I was growing up about that, about wanting in one hand, and I've conveniently forgot the rest of it, but my dad had a way of figuring that out. <laughs> Some of you had a dad like that. I can tell by the smile. Now, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, 
This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will. Now, let me stop there for a moment before I go on with this. According to his will is very important, but it has become a stumbling block. His will is not that difficult. His will is that we understand that we're sons and daughters in the kingdom and that there's a particular way that we live to stay in that, that, that there's boundaries that we put up around us because we're part of that family. And as long as we live in that, we will ask according to his will. That we, we realize we're not going to ask for things that are out there. But there's going to be something in our hearts as we commune with him that we'll know what to ask for. And then John goes on to say that if we know, if we, if we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask in that, in that vein, we know that we have what we ask of him. Now, let me develop that a little bit. Just first of all, remember that I'm not preaching out of the letter of the scripture this morning. I'm preaching out of the story. And in the story, I, as we look at the story, I don't want to discourage you from doing the background work of working context and definition. If, if, if I told you that I didn't want you to work out context, Mark Drake would deny me as a friend. So I don't want that to happen. But I... I'm not asking, I'm not trying to establish that and get you away from it, but I'm trying to get you in the overall of things to get into the story that goes not from Genesis, but it goes from whenever to whatever because there's, there's no time limits in God and, and there's the story that is God. And the more we get into that story, the more we'll understand it. But first and foremost in Scripture is God's telling us the part of his story that is necessary for us to understand him and to bring life to men. So, in salvation, as he brings us into his story, we have this thing here in John, and John is bringing us into his story in these, in these epistles. And when you look back at John walking with God, and remember just a, a little thing about Bible study, the Bible is its own best commentary. And if you just fill yourself with, with the story of God through the Scripture, then, then the commentary of God that is in it through the Holy Spirit will begin to open up things to you. But we can go to previous Scripture and we can begin to see through the eye of the Spirit what John's seen and begin to see what he was trying to say. Now, for New Testament believers, when we start to build the way we're going to pray, build the way we're going to live, build the way we're going we're to help and work together with God, we've got to ask ourselves, am I able to see this in the life of Jesus as he developed the disciples? And that really is what John had to work from. Now, I understand everything that he went through in between, but what John was working from, he was bringing back to the church the revelation of what it is to walk with Jesus. This is, this is what he had to work out of. So um, the asking that John was talking about would have been covered in Jesus' encouragement, and John was one of those disciples that came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I know there's been books, probably volumes of books, written on what we call the Lord's Prayer. And we've, we've made it a step-by-step -step thing that we ritualize. Folks, it's not what happened. These disciples had observed Jesus and the life he lived as he prayed. 
They had observed the times, not all the time, but the times that he'd go apart and he'd spend the night just talking to his father. And when he'd come back, there'd be multitudes gathered and, and it looked like miraculous, but it's just drawn to a presence of a man that prayed. And out of that, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus answered, his answer was, pray like this. Not pray in the ritualistic sense, but in this manner, pray. Now, what, what can we learn from that? We can, we can learn that, that the first place of prayer, the, the, the first sense, the, the first position of prayer is that we're communicating with one who is greater but one who determined that he would bring us into his kingdom. And he determined that because he knew we, that he could get us through. Our Father, who's already in the realm of the heavenlies. Man, don't separate that from the world. Our Father, who operates out of his realm, spiritually, his realm, your character is so much other than mine. Hallowed. It, it's separate. It's different. Lord, that being the case, that's the first thing I want to acknowledge is as I communicate with you, the purpose is to bring me into a place of properly expressing your name, your character, your ability in the earth. It takes you a while to get through that. And I find myself praying along these lines every morning. And the entire remainder of the Lord's Prayer would fall under that thing of ask. Lord, that, <laughs> that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And man, I look around, my, I look around at the world and God's will is not being done. And I need to be communicating with him. How through me expressing his character can I bring his will to my part of the world and 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 I to do that I have to make some acknowledgments and I'll talk more about this later but one of the acknowledgments I have to make is I'm not very sure how to move forward in that now I'll leave that hanging there for right now and just remind you that first scripture that we read Luke 18 how did Jesus come into that statement now go back at some later time and look at it. I'm going to heavily par paraphrase this, but if you go look, it's what he was talking to them about. It just seemed to be casual conversation with his disciples. And he was saying, you're going to lose your natural life in this thing we're doing. Now how different is that from what we've taught in our modern world? That you're going to have your best days coming on you. Folks, you're going to lose your natural life in this. If you're going to follow Jesus, if, if, if you're going to express in this world what it is to be one who follows God, you're going to lose your natural life. You're going to be so caught up in that, that what you could be in this world system will go away. I would say to you, anybody in any primary leadership in the church leading any size of congregation could be commanding six figures. Because of the ability that God gives them, they could be doing that. But that life went away. And it becomes buried in God. And what Jesus just hanging out with the disciples said, you're going to lose your natural life in this thing we're doing. It's just going to happen. 
Weird. I, I, I imagine you're shouting hallelujah in your soul. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, we've translated it something like this. One will be taken and the other left. And man, we've tried to make end time doctrine out of that. But let me tell you something. Jesus was just saying, some of you are not going to get what you're asking for. You see other people get it. And you think you have a right to it. But you won't get it. How do you explain that? I can't explain that. How do you explain losing a man like Bill Elsie? How do you explain somebody that has fought the fight of faith like Betty has fought it, yet suffered so greatly? How do you, how, how do you explain that? I got no explanation. And honestly, if you do, I probably don't want to hear it. Because I won't think you got it. <laughs> now, another thing he said, if you're not demonstrating the life of God, beings and people like vultures will feed on you. <laughs> it, it, it's, it was common, common language that we have translated uncommonly. <coughs> and in the flow of the story, when Jesus makes this statement that, or starts moving the direction that he moved in Luke 18, here's, a, again, very heavily paraphrased, considering the nature of your walk with God, it's inevitable that you'll pray. You look at the word ought, you break it down to its original, and what it means is it's inevitable. And I want you to think for a moment about your own walk with God and see how some circumstances of life that you, in the, in the beginning, they got you busy and caused you to forget that you were communicating with God, but somewhere in those circumstances, it drove you to pray and to begin communicating with God. So many of those times, considering the nature of our walk with God, it's inevitable that you'll pray. And that prayer is necessary so you don't get weary and lose your way or quit. That's really what the verse was stating. <laughs> now, where's the miracle in that? Well, there's miracles that we walk with God. So the implied teaching that there's something in the divine nature of God that we get by communicating with him. That helps us not to quit, helps us not to lose heart, helps us to realize what we're seeing is not all that's happening. So the difficulty of walking in direct conflict with the culture around us will make it inevitable that we pray. This is not something that Jesus stated to drive us and, and, and to say, if you don't do this, then you're not mine. He's saying, if you show the character of God, if, if you live this thing and this, with the culture against you in almost everything you do, it's inevitable that you'll pray. And in, in another place there, he said, I tell you these things so that you won't stumble, so that you won't become offended. And that true communication will enable us to stay engaged and to not faint. Now, for me, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just a doctrine. It's something that is so, so important to me. Because so often I'm not certain how to pray for a given situation. 
When I got the, the call yesterday, or right around noon or something, that Jan's dad and Randy's brother had been found dead and found by Tennyson. Man, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so important to me in those times. Because the Bible says the Spirit himself will make intercession. When we're, when we're in places of groaning and we don't know what to say, he'll do it. And I find myself living in that. Because, church, here's the thing. I just don't know enough. I've served God for something like 42 years or something. And I don't know enough. And here's the truth. I likely never will. And I get, I get nervous around those people that think they know. I, I had a meeting recently with some people and, and Jeremy, a pastor over at Life Church, and I went and had a meeting with these people. Afterwards, Jeremy says, what do you think? I said, man, people that know all of it has, make me nervous. I, said, I, th I think they're good people. But that deal of just, just knowing, I, that makes me nervous. And I, I suppose I'll always be that way. Now that being the case, I make it a practice. When I get up from bed every morning, I get up from bed talking in tongues. Because I, I, I can do that. It, it's, it's, it, it's an option that God gives me because I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I, like Paul says, when I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. It's not somebody else praying. It's not the Holy Spirit praying. It's my spirit praying. And I, I go about my day and often Chelsea will say, what? And I say, never mind. I'm just, I'm just talking to God. And really, I'm just kind of rumbling around talking in tongues. I, I go through Walmart and I honestly see this. Sometimes people look at me as they go by and I realize I've been going down the, down the aisle going, shout about that <laughs> Hey, where's he from? Well, right now I'm from another world. People are going to think you're crazy. Yeah, but they kind of do anyway, so what does it matter? And I find my spirit at times like yesterday and the day before and the day before, straining toward God, not knowing what to say, and just filling it up with speaking in an unknown tongue as the Spirit of God gives utterance. And not, not a vain repetition. There's an actual language in there. And it goes places I've never gone before. It says things that I've never said before. But my spirit is straining, seeking for life's answers. And my go-to is talking in tongues. It's not some, some book on, on psychoanalysis, not, not some long studies, but just going to God and saying, God, I, usually I don't even get the question out before I'm just, you say you shouldn't do that in public. Well, deal with it. <laughs> Pray in the Spirit often without understanding and that's so hard for the American mind because we push so hard for understanding and, and, and doctrinal bullet points that we just, we just don't know what to do with lack of understanding but 
And I've walked with him long enough to know that I'm never going to fully understand him. But I can always touch him. And I can always contact him. I can always work with it. Now, up behind me, you're going to see something called a menorah start to be displayed. Menorah or menorah. It, both ways it has been pronounced. But I don't remember how many years ago, but back when I was first starting my studies, I had a whole stack of, of things for what they had dug out of the ground concerning, uh, concerning Scripture called Biblical Archaeology Magazine or something like that. And they had found one of these that everything was together and they were they never were able to actually use it but they knew enough of history to know how it worked but let's let me start with this as my spirit prays there's an inner fire that comes up in me that begins to spark other gifts and that manure the oldest ones that they have found works something like that they had that single fire in the middle that they would light and it would sit there and burn and burn and burn and it would heat the oil in one and then another and then another and then another and there would be a fire go off in one as the oil was heated enough and then another it the the quality of the oil was more as to when when the fire would begin to burn until that whole thing was burning and it was celebration to them of the presence and the move of the Spirit of God. But more than that, it was a celebration of the oil, the oil that they used to express what they had to do in ritual. And I'm telling you something. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as the oil of anointing and I when I begin to work with him I'm not celebrating what's getting ready to happen I'm celebrating the oil I'm celebrating the Holy Spirit and most we've been doing a lot of talking with some of the team about about what do you do with services and and how do you do that and for me it's a bottom line all the time no matter what else happens we take care of that presence no matter what else happens happens it's the flow of the spirit of God I don't care how many people's here I don't care how many people's not here what we do is take care of the flow of that presence and some of the times in our day-to-day -day life and in in the in the service itself that you begin by just God I don't know what to do I don't know what you're going to do I sense something's there and just going on and on until something sparks but as you in your private life begin to take advantage of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, I don't think that's listed up there, but it's, it, Paul said it's the manifestation for the common good. He, he says, my spirit prays, but it's a manifestation for the common good. And out of that will come, sometimes you'll be in a conversation with somebody. And like I said before, you're, you're kind of listening. You listen to the point where you realize, I can't handle this conversation. I don't have any answers. And the next thing you know, there's a word of wisdom. Boom. And you say that and move on. But it's a God thing because it hits their spirit like, hey, that might work. That might be an answer. And the next thing it might be is a word of knowledge. And you might say something to them, there's something coming. Yeah, you better get ready. And, you know, I've got a word of knowledge for this generation. If you don't quit letting kids rule your world, there's something coming. Amen. <laughs> right. 
I got a word of knowledge there. I mean, I'm telling you. And the word of wisdom is <laughs> lay the board of, of education to the seat of knowledge sometimes. <laughs> uh, was that me or was that God? I don't know. But I, I'm thinking he's backing it up. <laughs> sometimes there will be a, a direct just, just you hear him speaking and all of a sudden faith wells up in you and you realize man this is this is faith this is a gift from God I, faith where I had no faith before and you directly begin to minister that other times you'll be you'll be doing that and, and healing you'll be aware of the healing presence of God I've been having that happen on on my morning walks I, I don't know if I'd take morning walks except I got to take the dog out you know but <laughs> I'm, I'm out there, and I'm, I don't talk her language, but I talk God's language. So, and and I've, I've been realizing as I'm walking that something seems to be something happening in my back. The, the pain is less, and I don't know exactly what's going on. I'm not that smart, but something's being sparked in my body. But sometimes, sometimes I'm talking to someone else, and all of a sudden I realize God's healing them. And I'll say, you know what? There's warmth going all over your body right now. Right there in that part of your body, God is touching you. And all of a sudden, i got a God moment on my hands because they'll begin to be touched by the power of God. Why? Because I've just gone around talking to God all day. And it sparked something. It, it's got that oil flowing. Something is beginning to happen. Um, sometimes, hear me, I'll receive instruction on how to do something, and it'll seem miraculous. And then I realize that God doesn't say that He gives us, the Spirit gives us a gift of miracles. He says He gives us a gift of the working of miracles. And he'll, he'll give me a process to go through. And what happens looks like it's miraculous. But in reality, it, in reality it's just of talking with him and communicating with him and, and living my day aware of him on one level while I'm going about life on another level. All of you have times during the day, even if you have a regular job where your mind is not engaged, you're doing it by rote and ritual. It's become such a habit to you, you're just doing it in those times. You can go back to that baptism of the Holy Spirit and let it bubble up in you and begin to work on it. And guess what? You'll release an anointing in your job that you've never had before. God didn't put you in that job by accident. I, it really bothers me when I hear people complain about a, a job that they ask God for. I'll just leave that there. So... It might be an interpretation of tongues as someone else is speaking in tongues. I've, I've had it happen where I've, I've heard somebody praying in tongues and God would give me an interpretation of what they're saying. And I'd walk over and just as quietly give them that interpretation as they were quietly speaking in tongues. It doesn't always have to be a church thing. And don't ever think because you're not seeing it that it's not happening in the body. Don't ever think that. Because God doesn't do this for your affirmation or your enjoyment or anything else. He does it for the good of the body. He does it because He's God. And He does it for interaction with His people so He can be expressed on the earth. And He distributes as He will. And I keep myself ready by communicating with Him. The will to pray, the desire to pray, happens as you pray. I don't care how many books you read on prayer. If you're going to learn to pray, eventually you're going to have to pray. Well, I'm not sure. No, I'm not either. 
I'm not sure what the next prayer I pray will sound like, but I'm not sure what my next conversation with Sai is going to sound like either. Out of our interaction, we'll communicate. And folks, that's the way it's supposed to work. I, I know all the arguments, and I've probably read all the books. But I'm telling you, you need to learn to talk with God. In Moravia, an area that was and probably it was a part of the Czech Republic, I don't know what they call it now, but history, church history shows that the church in Moravia prayed 24 hours a day, hear me now, for 100 years. Let that sink in for a minute. The church prayed 24 hours a day for a hundred years. Now, they didn't set out to pray a hundred years. They, somebody got the idea that maybe if I would take one hour, and I would take one hour, and Julie would take one hour, on and on, maybe we could pray for 24 hours. And they did that. And everybody felt so good about that that they said, you know, we can do another 24 hours. And they did that for a hundred years. They became so accustomed to praying, so accustomed to things happening around them that they determined was because of prayer that they prayed together for a hundred years. Now, out of that came some of the prime movers of the Welsh Revival. I don't know how many of you have looked at church history, but I'll just run through some of it quickly. In the Welsh Revival, a man named Evan Roberts, he was in contempt of what was happening in what people called the Revival. But he felt compelled by God to go there. And he came, he sat in the back of the church, and he realized, this is God. And he realized there was something so religiously wrong in him that he needed God to fix it. And the church heard him cry out, Bend me, God. And that became the call that marked Evan Roberts' prayers for some years after that. Bend me, God. I am so rigid in what I believe. I need you to bend me. Evan Roberts began to be so mightily touched by God that he got invited to a boarding house in Topeka, Kansas, where some girls had begun to pray. And the fire of God broke out in that boarding house. And from there it went to Azusa Street in California. I think it's William Seymour, one of the prime movers there at Azusa Street. And this, is, this has always astounded me, but Seymour was recognized as one of the guys that really was key to the Spirit of God moving there. And he would sit with his legs crossed on the platform. And I'm told that there was an orange crate in front of him. And on top of that orange crate was a shoebox. Both of them out of wood at that time. And he would stick his head in that shoebox and pray throughout the whole service. Rarely speaking other than to pray. And the power of God would break out all around him. And people would begin to prophesy. And healings would begin to happen. Now here, according to his own testimony... He never spoke in tongues. He, never, he didn't know what that was about. But people, people would begin to speak with other tongues as, he gave utterance, as the Spirit of God gave utterance around him. And out of that, the Pentecostal and charismatic move, as we know it today, developed all over the world.
What can one group of people do who decide they're going to pray? I'm not going to do ritualistic things. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray. Now, some years ago, God put it on my heart and some others to work a street ministry in Kansas City. And this is just a few stories of so many that I could tell. But I want, I want you to hear some of this. We honestly didn't know what to do. We knew that there were certain areas of the city that was just overwhelmed at the time with heroin use and drugs, just drugs and prostitution, basically. And we knew God had called us to do something about it. So we went to places of the worst reputation. Some of you might recognize when I say the Wayne Minor Housing Edition, a place that you could smell the stench of the place for six blocks when the wind would blow across it. And we went right in there among the alcoholics and the prostitutes and the drug addicts and began to work, started working with the kids. But since we didn't know what to do, we didn't know how to play or how to pray. We just would walk around through those areas just speaking in tongues. One night over in the Wayne Minor edition, we heard yelling behind us and turned around to see a man running toward us waving a gun, yelling and waving a gun. And don't you know we were full of faith at that moment? Yeah, but we stood our ground, and when he got to us, he went to his knees, and he went down so hard that he scooted on the pavement. And his words were, I need to get saved. We hadn't even talked to him. He knew that there was something there that we had, and the word had got around that there were crazy people. And at that time, they were calling us crazy white people because it was predominantly black where we were moving around. And he got saved that night, and he was instrumental to a lot of what, of what happened there after that. We always wore these vests, uh, Levi vests, that was, was just a jean jacket with sleeves cut out of it, and on the back of it, in, in reflective paint, we painted Jesus as Lord. Now, the reason we did that is because I figured if somebody shot us, we wanted them to know who they were shooting. And that's honest truth. That's a, that's what, that's, that was why we did it. And we were strolling through another neighborhood and um, some of you know Phil Reason, but Phil Reason and I had cut down an alley and, and things that people said you just can't do in this city, you can't go in the dark, the cops would stop us on the road, you guys can't be out here. And we'd tell them what we were doing and they'd just shake their head and drive on. But we cut down through an alley and on the side of the alley were several old burned out and beat up cars and when we got down to the street Somebody again started yelling, and, and what this one guy was saying, who are you? And we turned around and looked, and two men came out of the alley, and they said, we were sleeping in those cars. And we had shot up there several hours ago and were sleeping. And when you walked by, it was like an earthquake shook those cars. We didn't see anything, we didn't hear anything, but they did. And he said, when we raised up, we could see that reflection on those jackets that said, Jesus is Lord, who are you? And we began to talk to them about the power of Jesus to deliver. Both of those guys were delivered from drugs and became a part of the street ministry. Folks, I'm telling you, there's something about it when you don't know what to do. Just kind of spend all the time you can walking around speaking in tongues and trusting him. Jude says, this is your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. This, this is where you don't know what's being said. You don't, you just trust Him enough 
to know that you're there and you're going to do it. There, there's so many of those stories, and most of them happening either during or after an extended time of just talking with God. And you know what? We weren't super spiritual. We just knew God wanted to make a difference. And other times that seemed to be less dramatic, we just, it's just there. We spent a lot of time through the day on Saturday hanging out in those neighborhoods, just talking with people. And a lot of times in the early evening, we'd just walk around. People would be sitting on their porches because it'd be so hot inside and they didn't have air conditioning. And people would be sitting on their porches and we'd just talk with people. The first question is, what in the world are you guys doing down here? And one night, I, I remember this in particular, we seen an old grandma sitting up on the porch. And we, we just walked to the gate and said, hey, can we, can we come up? She said, yeah, come on up. And we didn't tell her who we were. But she said, I've been praying for guys like you. Think about that. We've been praying for people that come into our neighborhood and bring the presence of God. Now, I could take you to most of those neighborhoods right now, and they're completely different now. You say, well, that's just the urban renewal. No, that's because there was something sparked in the presence of God there, and that thing began to have an update. And now you find upper-class housing. You find all kinds of things in some of those neighborhoods. Why? Because somebody wasn't afraid to just go see what God would do. And I think... As much as anything, it's just the presence of God. But I remember, I'm going to wrap it up here pretty soon, but I remember some of the kids that were so mightily touched by God. There were so, so many humorous things, but one time one of the ladies had, Phil Reason's sister, had talked about Adam and Eve. And next Sunday, the next Saturday, we had Saturday services out there. Over 400 kids coming outdoors, rain or shine. They were there. And she said, who remembers what last week was all about? One little kid, his name was Frank, stuck his head up, hand up in the air and said, I remember. And what was it about? He said, they were buck naked. <laughs> That's what he remembered. But then that little boy got hold of something. And he began to say, I'm an evangelist. And he would go around and he'd talk to other kids and pray for them. And one time he disappeared and we asked the kids, where's Frank? I don't know, his, mo his mama moved away. And we decided that, well, we're going to open up this other housing over in North Kansas City and we're going to move the some of the location over there because that's a rough place too. We walked through that housing the first time and guess who was sitting on the wall? Frank. Frank, how are you doing? Are you serving Jesus? And he said, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he had that attitude. He said, oh, yeah. He's about, what, nine, ten by then? He, he said, you see the kids over there? I said, yeah. He said, they're always looking at them naked books. And he said, I'm telling them that, that Jesus is going to wipe all the tears from their eyes. And he was winning kids. And another kid over here said, these guys are, are playing with selling dope, but I'm telling them that that's not the way of life. Many of those kids, when we started out, we'd say, what are you going to do when you grow up? Some of them would say, I'm going to deal drugs. Five years old. Some of them would say, I'm going to be a pimp. Some of them, would, little girls, would say, I'm going to be a prostitute. They would say it, five, six, seven years old. But after a while of us being down there working with them, some days they wanted to say, I'm going to work at McDonald's. How many knows that's a step up from being a prostitute? 
Next thing you know, I'm going to be a school teacher. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm still praying for that one. <laughs> one of them says, I love this. He said, I'm going to be a banker. <laughs> I don't know where he got it, but maybe in God. But over and over, those kids, their, their expectation rose up. And we had this one little girl. She always, when, when myself or Phil, we were the ones that broke in the Wayne Minor deal. And when, when we would come on the property there, it seemed like Celeste always knew it. And she'd say, hey, you. And look over, and she, she had that Don King hair, you know. And, and we look at her and, and start walk toward her, and she'd say, I need a hug. I was in Kmart before it closed in North Kansas City, and by this time, Celeste was a grown girl, grown woman, and I hear, hey, you, and I looked over, and there she was, and the next thing is, I need a hug, mm -hmm. and the next thing was talking to, us, talking to us about her talking to kids in her area, in her community. Mm -hmm. Folks, we need to be out and about, even when we don't know what we're doing, just doing what God leads us to do and sometimes it's about just being there. We were in what is. So many people were getting killed during this time. Chelsea and I were living right down in one of the roughest neighborhoods in town. We didn't spread the word around that we were living there. But we weren't there 24 hours before the gate began to rattle. Because Somehow word had got around that there was some pastors living down there now, and it weren't, wasn't people wanting to hurt us, but people coming to say, would you pray for me? Would you go down and get your hair cut at this place? Because my son works there, and he don't know. Now, this is what they say. He don't know whether he's a man or a woman. Would you go down and get your hair cut down there? Would you pray for this one? Would you pray for that one? And people began to get saved. And right now, there's a pretty thriving little church community there, in that, in that neighborhood. We're not there anymore. But we found out that just being there changed the atmosphere. Now it got to where it was very dangerous for us there because the gangs knew that we were messing with their sales. But that's all right. The thing is that we were there. Now I want to say this in closing, Rafa's still there. Uh, I was talking with him this last week and he Sometimes you just know Father's so proud of these kids because his words were, we know where we're called and we're going to be here. said, so they tried two times now, but they missed. How does your life reflect the fact that he lives in you? How does it reflect that? Roth is not the only one. There's many, many that we know and work with that live there. Chelsea, have been, Chelsea and I have been asked to come and do a wedding in what is in June. You know what? We'll probably do it. Because they need to know that they're a part of us and we're a part of them.
talked to a lady yesterday in Monroe City. She said, I'm so thankful that the churches of the area here insisted that we come back into relationship and step up to being a part of what God's doing in this area. You know, guys, you're a, lot, you're a part of a lot more than you know. There's no way we can tell you how much you're a part of. But when you give faithfully and we're able to go to these places and a lot of times according to how the church is doing financially a lot of times it's because you've supported it but we're able to go to these places it's our re it's this church's representation of you that is there when we working back and forth with the reservation another reservation besides the one Damon is on now and working back and forth with it I realize there's no way we can pull this off unless the folks at home pray and give there's just no way but you know what we'll pull it off because we're part of something bigger than ourselves and it's expressed as we commune with the one that can lead us forward uh, hear me God will lead you into ways of life and living where you'll be able to give like you want to give. I know most of you want to give more than you're giving. God will lead you into that. Why? Because He's interested, yes, in you living what looks like blessing in this culture, but He's also interested in us being the best expression we can be out there. And folks, it comes from living a life in connection with Him and realizing that prayer is not just something it's communication with Almighty God. And that makes it important. It would, it would be the, the most arrogant thing in the universe for me to pray to the God of the universe except that He invited me to. That's right. He said, you come boldly before the throne of grace. Not, not coming as, as, a, as a representation of someone that knows everything and, and has it all down, but He said, you come. Glenn Berry, come boldly before the throne of grace. Come like you're somebody, because to him you are. Now, I want you to, if you're comfortable with it, just close your eyes for a moment. Because as I was working with this, I realized that, man, there's something we do that we need to stop. And that is making people think, if you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've got to come forward. And you've got to do it a certain way. But that's not true. I wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit that way. And God reminded me of that. But you can sit right there and open yourself up to who He is and what He is. And it's His will that you allow Him to immerse you in His Spirit. And one of the reasons that Acts chapter 2 records that mighty rushing wind is for us to realize that there's been the breathing forth of God all through that previous 4,000 years but from this time forward it wasn't going to be just that gentle breathing but he won't be denied <laughs> that rushing wind that rushing breath of God that'll fill all the house Yes, my personal house, but all the house where we're staying, where we are. And that 
At times it'll manifest as fire. At times it'll manifest as that gentle presence. But as Leslie leads us in this, in this closing song, I, I want you to just open up your heart and say, God, I, I want you to baptize me in your spirit. And then if words come to your mind, just say them. Don't worry about what they sound like. Just say them. And realize that he'll, he'll flood you. He'll overflow you. He'll immerse you. And that might be through the process of time. But just make a beginning this morning. like you see me and frankly I'm not worried about that but I want to see you and the world would see you through me and God I pray that the spirit of that will get on every individual God we realize that we're a part of something so much greater in this world in Jesus name Amen as you pray this week remember Jan Brogan and Randy Antall. You know, this was not totally unexpected for Dan to pass, but they hadn't anticipated it would be this quickly, and it's been quite the shock. Pray for me as, and the team as we try to work with that. We don't know exactly what's ahead of us on that. Um, hopefully, Caleb and I will be able to sort some of that out this afternoon as we as we talk with the family. but. This is another one of those situations that's had me talking in tongues. I, I don't know what's before us on that. But I know this, that through food, through weeping with those who weep, 
we'll do what God wants us to do. But stand ready to do what you can do. And the main thing right now is pray and let's walk, let's walk it through. God bless you.